Good morning, Harvest Muskoka. Good to see you today. It's a, really is a, an honor and a privilege uh, for Cheryl and I to be here uh, today and for me to have the opportunity to open God's Word. Don't take that for granted at all. And so grateful for this church because we feel so at home here and uh, have such a close affinity because of our, our relationship that goes all the way back to your beginning. And um, we don't tell anybody else, but you're kind of like our favorite. And so, so don't tell the other harvests. Um, but you guys are our favorite. And Pastor Kai and I, we have such a close uh, friendship and are talking to each other um, a lot and uh, keeping in contact and just love what God is doing up here and, and the vision that you have for the Muskokas and uh, love the way that's kind of being shaped and, and how God is guiding in all of that. And, and I think there's just some great days ahead for you guys. And we're going to uh, watch that and, and pray um, from Barry uh, for great things for you in the days ahead. So excited about all of that. And uh, if I don't know, I know there's always cottagers up here because it's cottage country, obviously. Any people from Oakville here, Harvest Oakville, just raise your hand if you're from Harvest Oakville. Great. Were you there two weeks ago when I preached? Anybody from Oakville? No? There was a guy in the first service and I preached the same message. There is somebody here? Okay, clearly the Lord wants you to hear this message twice. So... <laughs> Pay attention this time, uh, and, if, and if you're going to be in London next week, that's going to be really bad for you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, praise the Lord. Psalm 103, that's where we're going to be, and okay, to get into God's Word now, you ready for that? Yeah, all right. So let, let's start with this. Uh, the gospel obviously brings uh, life. If you need a Bible, just indicate that. The ushers will get one to you. Uh, the, Bible, uh, the, uh, the gospel obviously brings life to people. But as I think about the preaching of the gospel, it has a couple of dangers or pitfalls that can go along with uh, the preaching of the gospel. These are the two that actually I think of. We, we emphasize the confession of sin. And obviously we have to do that because you can't come into a relationship with Jesus Christ unless you first confess that you're a sinner. We know that this world is tainted by sin and all of us are under the curse of sin. We get that. But in the emphasizing of the confession of sin, we can see life sometimes, we can see life only in terms of what's wrong with the world. You can see how that'd be a danger? We see life only in terms of what's wrong with the world. And then a second one related to it, we focus so intently on heaven, which is such a good thing, and, and honestly, as great as it is to be in the Muskokas, and we've been here for a couple of days, and it's awesome to be in the Muskokas, I'd rather be in heaven, wouldn't you? I'd rather be in heaven. And so we emphasize heaven and focus so intently on it, but we can forget that God has blessed us with so much that's good right here, right now in this life. And so those two pitfalls are kind of in front of us, and I, and I get there's so many things in life that we can lament and so many hard things and trials that we go through. No one's denying any of that. But there's also a good many things that God has given to us that are awesome and great and praiseworthy. And Psalm 103 takes us to that place today. Without ignoring the realities of the world we live in, Psalm 103 takes us to a place where we acknowledge all of these praiseworthy things that God would give to us. And I hope you can see all of that. I hope that that comes quickly to your mind. God, look how you've blessed me. But if not, if you're struggling with that in any way, then let Psalm 103 be a reminder to you today 
of these great things that God has done and these great things that God has given to you. And let him drive us again to this point of praising him and exalting him for all of these things. In fact, that's the principal exhortation of this psalm. Three words, exalt the Lord, exalt the Lord, exalt the Lord. That's the whole thing. In this psalm, if we go away with anything today, let it be that. And are you doing that? Is that what the fabric of your life is about? My life is about exalting Jesus Christ in every way that I could possibly do that. Are you into that? That's what we're going to go after. Now, we've, you've probably already noticed in the service, we just sang a couple of songs and we front-loaded the message and we've left a bunch of time at the end very intentionally so that we can respond to this message. So a message on exalting the Lord. We thought it would be a good thing to end the service by... I'll try it again. Okay, so on a message about exalting the Lord, we thought it would be good to end the service by... There we go. See, we got it. So that's where we're going to go today. Let me pray for us, and then we'll start uh, working through Psalm 103. We're going to read the text as we go today. So let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, it's, um, it's an awesome thing just so we get to gather in your name right now. And to be here in Muskoka, we're thankful for that. I'm thankful for Harvest Muskoka and all that you've done already here and all that you're doing and all that you will do. It's, it's um, Father, an awesome thing to think about. And so I pray for the days ahead that you would uh, clarify the vision and make provision for them. Father, may your Holy Spirit work in an extraordinary way in this church. And we recognize as we gather today, Father, that apart from you, we can do nothing. I can't preach in power right now. We can't collectively receive the implanted word without your Holy Spirit working. And so we need your Spirit to meet with us and to do, once again, a divine miracle in our midst. Please, Lord, do it. Transform us again by the hearing of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? All right, let's go after it. Exalt the Lord. Let's start here. Exalt him with all that you are and all that you have. Verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now let's break that down and let's start which is the first word, this word bless, bless the Lord. It's, uh, if you're carrying a new international version, it has praise the Lord there, and it's a little bit more than that. It has more pop than just the word uh, praise. Uh, to bless the Lord uh, carries some significant implications for us. And, and I've struggled a little bit with this when I've read through the scripture. Maybe this has been you too, that when you're seeing this idea of blessing God, it's a little confusing. How possibly could I bless God? I understand how I can be blessed of God, and I understand how we can seek to bless one another. If I would uh, say to you, God bless you, or I hope you're blessed, what I'm really saying to you is, I hope that wherever you're at right now, it gets better. I hope that your life would be enriched in some way. You don't have something, I hope you get it. That's what blessing means. I want that for you. You might bless me and say, uh, you want that for me. And we can understand how God would enrich our lives or give us something we didn't have before, make our life better in some way. In that sense, God blesses us. But then when I have that definition or that concept of blessing, and I think about this, bless the Lord, I realize some things about this. God's life cannot be enriched in any way. 
God's life cannot be made better. I cannot give God or hope that God gets something he doesn't have because he's perfect, he has everything. There's no way in which God's life can be enriched. Would you agree? God cannot be enriched. And so what then do I mean when I say, bless the Lord? Well, you could jot down a few of these things. To bless the Lord is to express gratitude to him. It's to express admiration of him. It's to express adoration of him. I really like this. It's an exclamation of what already is concerning God. And, and, and what I'm just coming to realize in other words, I find out some awesome thing about God that maybe I didn't think about before, something I didn't know before. Now I realize this thing, and I exclaim to him, bless the Lord. In other words, you are blessed, God, because you're this, and I didn't know that before. It's an exclamation of what is and what I'm just coming to realize, that he's awesome in every way. To say bless the Lord is to say you are blessed, God. You are blessed. And I can see that. John Piper says, to exalt the Lord is to joyfully announce all these good things about God. And so when we bless the Lord, we magnify him, we exalt him, we recognize his magnificence and his glorious status as the king of the universe and as the source of all blessing. Because he is blessed. And when you've got that, you feel like you got that now? I understand what it means to bless the Lord. You feel like you got that? Should I go over it again? Or do you feel like you got it? You got it? We can move on? 11 o'clock, come on, step it up a little bit. We need a little bit more response. You slept in today. It's 11 o'clock service. I can get it if the nine o'clock service drags a bit, but 11, pick it up. Here we go. So when you've got this understanding of blessing the Lord then, Notice next that you have to do this blessing of the Lord. Notice in the verse, with all of your soul. With all of your soul. So it's not simply, as we did a few minutes ago, it's not simply just an outward physical expression of worship. It's not just clapping hands, raising hands, singing, shuffling of the feet, not all out dancing, just shuffling of the feet. It's, it's, that could be part of it, but it's not simply these things because it's, it's to be done with our soul. It's to come from deep within. It's to encompass, in fact, the totality of who we are. Psalm 130 verse 1 says, out of the depths of my soul, I cry to you. And so we're bringing everything to the table. Yes, physical, but not just physical, there's an emotional aspect to, to our worship and our exaltation of God. And it's right in the text. Bless the Lord. See it there? Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Now, if you're, a, if you're a, a grammar freak, you get that the O is an interjection. And it's one that expresses um, intense, sudden emotion. And, and I, I tell you that because the psalmist interjected into the text emotion to let us know that when we're exalting God, we better bring our emotive side to the table. So it's not just physical, 
The emotions have to be there as well. And, and, then, and then our minds need to be engaged in this. This isn't just thoughtless. It's not just rote memory. I'm not just reciting some things. My mind needs to be engaged in the exaltation of God. Now, this is poetry. The Psalms are poetry. And, and I don't, I'm not into poetry. I, I don't necessarily want to create bad memories for people, but you know, back in high school, you were in English class, and the poetry unit was the single worst unit in English of the entire year. Wouldn't you agree? Like in a class of 30 people, 30 kids in a, in a high school class, there was like three out of 30 that understood the poems. And the rest of us were just trying to survive the six weeks you did poetry and just do the test and get out of it and get to the next thing. We don't, I don't, we don't get poetry. Most people do not get poetry, notwithstanding the fact that I'm preaching poetry to you this morning. Most of us don't get poetry. But here's, here's what I do understand about it. Even though I might not get it, I know the poet spent a lot of time working on it. I know that the poet didn't just you know, sit down and scratch out first draft and get an awesome poem on a napkin. I get that they labored over images and they thought through the meter and they, and they considered every word carefully in the poem. And I, I get that maybe for every word that's in the poem, there's 10 or 12 words that are sitting on the cutting room floor. I get that the poet's mind was fully engaged in the process of writing the poetry. And the psalmist here is no different. In the exaltation of the Lord, his mind is fully engaged. It's very intentional. The meter is intentional. The word choice is intentional. The balance of the lines, everything of what we're reading here, it's rich in content, in theology. It's well-structured. The poet's mind is engaged and God would have us fully engaged. All of our faculties, our mental, intellectual faculties engaged in knowing who he is when we're spending time exalting him. And so it's physical, it's emotional, it's, it's intellectual and, and then finally it is an act of a person's will. I'm not forced to do this. I'm not forced to exalt him. I'm not, I'm not feeling even compelled to do it out of obligation or tradition. This is what I've always done. I was raised in the church. We were in a Christian family, and on Sunday mornings we went to church. It's what we did. It's what we do. It's why I'm here. And it's not good enough. Because we have to want to be here. I mean, arguably, we're in one of the most beautiful places in our country right now. And many of you escaped the city to come up here and be here. Many of you chose to come up and live in this area because it's so beautiful. And on a summer weekend, there's so many different options of what you could be doing. But you chose, good choice today, to be here. But it's more than that. It's you saying right now, of all the awesome things I could be doing in Muskoka right now, there's nothing I'd rather be doing than what I'm doing right now. I can't think of anything more awesome than being with God's people, to sing his praises, to hear the word, to fellowship with one another. There is nothing, hands down, there is nothing better than this. And that's when you know your will is engaged in the exaltation of the Lord, that you're bringing all that you have and all that you are to the exaltation 
of the Lord. Now, having said all of that, I get the objections that some people have to it. Because we come out of different traditions and, and different backgrounds, and so we say, you know, I, we just don't want our worship to kind of get off the rails. We don't want it to be too emotional. We don't want it to be too physical. It can be, we can be given to excesses when we do that. And so we want to hold back and not offer everything to him. And yet the verse says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. All that is within me. And God has actually created us and fashioned us to worship him with every part of who we are. And we do this so easily for other things. So let me present some evidence to you of the way God has created us to use all parts of who we are to express our excitement about various things. So let's, let's start with this video. Okay, you got the idea? That's good. So these are Nashville Predators fans. And if you're not a hockey fan, you need to know the Predators made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. They didn't win, but they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time. This is a team in Nashville, Tennessee. Hockey in Tennessee. Think about it. Hockey in Tennessee. 19,000 screaming fans inside the building. 50,000 fans who couldn't get into the building outside the building all doing this. All that is within them cheering for the Nashville Predators. Not holding anything back. Or how about this scene? Maybe hockey isn't your cup of tea. Maybe you're more into baseball. And 108 years, I believe it was, the Chicago Cubs, the laughing stock of the major leagues, finally won the World Series last fall. They finally won. And the city of Chicago, on the day they were celebrating the win and having their rally in Grant Park, the city pretty much shut down and there was a grand parade and hundreds of thousands of people poured out and got into Grant Park. My son Luke is there. He's uh, in the back left corner. He's a student at Moody. And uh, he's there at Grant Park uh, celebrating along with all these Cubs fans. And what does it take to, to go out in the heat and to, and to be in the throngs of people and all the crowds and all that is within me cheer for the Chicago Cubs? Or, or how about this picture? Uh, this is, these are, these are believers. I'm, I'm quite ashamed that I know that word. These are devotees of Justin Bieber. They are believers. And they're going, now I'm old enough that I remember pictures of when the Beatles first came over and every generation have it, has its pop stars and its rock stars that they go crazy over and that's what's happening here. And you just see the passion and, and the screaming and, and the insanity of it and all that is within me, it's just so silly to say, all that is within me, scream for Justin Bieber. Or this crowd in London, England, in front of Buckingham Palace a few years ago, they're waiting for the announcement of the birth of Prince George. Do you think they're going to get to see the baby? No, they're not going to get to see the baby. In fact, absolutely nothing is going to happen. They're just they're waiting for the announcement. They could have stayed at home and checked Twitter, and they would have heard about it. 
and they wouldn't have had to be in the crowd. But they're so passionate. There's such longing. They can't wait for the announcement that the prince has been born so they can all cheer together at that moment. All that is within me welcome the new prince. Or, or this woman, 91 years old, chained herself to a tree, probably had some help with that. She's literally a tree hugger. She's trying to save the tree. And it's admirable, and she has passion about it. She's 91 years old. All that is within me, save the tree. Or these people, Black Friday. What kind of passion does it take? to do this or Boxing Day specials, all that is within me by a flat screen? They're completely devoted to it or on a much more serious note. What does it take for a young man or a young woman to enlist and to wear their country's uniform and to bear arms, to run into enemy fire, to take a beach? What does it take? All that is within me, take the beach. You see, I, I give you all of those examples as evidence that God has wired us up, created us to be passionate about things and to bring all that is within us to bear on that passion. Do we have that for God, though? Would that describe your exaltation of the Lord? I hope it does but what would you need to do to change that? Write down these four words that we've been talking about. Mind, will, emotions, body. Put a little check mark beside, box beside each of them in a line. And this is what we're going to go after. I will exalt the Lord. We want to make this practical. I will exalt the Lord with my mind. Now, if you feel like your mind is engaged in this, you're reading the Word of God, you're studying the Word of God, you think carefully about exalting God according to how we know Him in His Word. If you think that's you, then give yourself a check mark. Say, I think I'm fairly well engaged in that. But if you're thinking I'm a little weak on that, then write something in the blank that's going to help you. Exalt the Lord with your mind. Get into God's word. Maybe you're not on a reading plan and, and you need, need to start doing that and regularly reading and digesting and meditating on the word of God. Maybe you're on a reading plan, but it's one of those, I gotta get through the Bible in a year because you're super spiritual when you do that. And so it's like four chapters a day no matter what and you read the four chapters, you give yourself, you know what, I did that and you don't even know what you read. So maybe it's more like, hey, I need to slow that down a little bit and think about some of the things and meditate on them. Or maybe I want to study it a little more deeper and I need to get a study Bible and have some notes or join a study or do an online course, you know, whatever it is. How can you engage your mind more in the process of exalting the Lord or your, or your will here? Um, to not be forced, but to want this, to want to be here, to spend time with God and to have that welling up inside of you. And I do really believe that prayer is, um, is so much the cause of this becoming true in our lives to the extent that you spend time with God and preparing to be here today and setting your priorities right as you talk to the Lord and as you hear from him. Uh, that's gonna help your will be aligned with him. So if that's not an issue for you, give yourself a check mark, and if not, put something on the blank that's gonna help with that. Or how about your emotions? Are your emotions engaged? 
uh, for the Lord. Um, I think about uh, some who have been raised in, in different traditions, come from different backgrounds or have different temperaments. And um, I'm not sure if it's okay. You know, I'm leaving town, so I think I can just go ahead and say these things. Um, but, you know, one of the great strengths of, of our Harvest Churches is that we have people from all different kind of church backgrounds and we have people from no church backgrounds and it's just a great kind of mix of people as we're all just trying to make our way with the Lord uh, through life. And, and, um, but, but there are some who come from certain church backgrounds where you were told don't ever express any emotion ever in worship. And so this is where I might offend some people. Um, but my church loves me in Barry, and that's where I'm headed next. So... Um, <laughs> Reformed people, you were raised brethren, you were raised Baptist, and, and you were told in worship to imitate that guy in the big hat and the outside Buckingham Palace. You were told to imitate that guy in worship. Just stand perfectly still and don't ever show any emotion. And it's just like, hello, is anybody in there? Kind of worship. And I, I'm, I'm more of an emotive guy, so it's a little bit easier for me but even at times I can grow cold in my worship of the Lord and my time with him. And I have a good friend. I'm going to be having breakfast with him on Saturday. In fact, we're back down to the London area. And, and he's an accountability partner. He's much more than that to me. He's been a mentor and a close friend. And one of the questions he'll often ask me concerning my time with the Lord is, have there been tears? And what he means by that is, have you been so struck by things you've read in God's word about him in light of who you are? Or have you been so burdened about some prayer request that tears have stained your Bible and tears have stained your journal? And when I go through a period of time where that's not happening, I begin to check my own heart and say, why have I grown so cold towards you, Lord? Have there been tears? It's not just sorrow, of course. Emotions also include laughter and joy, and I hope there's that in worship. I hope sometimes you're so elated in the Lord that you can barely contain yourself. I hope sometimes there's anger inside of you because of the things you're seeing in culture and in society and how sin is wrecking things. I hope there's a righteous indignation inside of you. But if you don't have sorrow and joy and anger at times, then write something in the blank and figure out how you can make that better in your exaltation of the Lord. And then I will exalt the Lord with my body and so there's a variety of ways you can do this. Of course, we've talked about some of them. Clap your hands. Unless you have absolutely no rhythm, you'll throw the worship team off. So just don't clap. Find a different way. Tap on your leg if you feel like that's something you could do. But don't throw Eric and the team off. They're, they're trying to do it. They're doing a great job. And, and, and just they don't need to be thrown off. But clapping, raising hands. You know these things are never commanded in the scriptures. They're observed. They're suggested. We're exhorted to do these things. But not never commanded to raise your hands in worship. But maybe, maybe you're just going, you know, but I'd like to, but I just feel so inhibited. And, uh, you know, just don't, it's hard to go like full out the first time. So you don't want to do that. So you just start with training wheels. Just down here. No one has to see that, you, that you're even trying. It's just down here. And then over time, you know what I'm saying. Um, clap your hands, raise your hands, lift your voice, sing out, move your feet a little bit. And this is a little easier for me. I'm actually a pretty fidgety person, so this comes a little more natural to me, but even I had to kind of do the training wheels thing with the hand raising, but I, I'm fidgety. Actually, that's why I became a preaching pastor was because I, I just can't sit through church. And that and I was called by God, so both of those things. Um, 
are re really why I became a preaching pastor. Well, you get the idea here. I will exalt the Lord with my mind, will, emotions, and body. Exalt him with all that you are and all that you have. Now, the rationale for blessing him comes hard and fast. Ready for this second thing? Here we go. Exalt him for all that he is and all that he's done. All that he is and all that he's done. We could even add to that all that he's doing. And uh, let's read a few more verses here. We won't take nearly as much time on the rest of it. Uh, this is verse two through eight. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast Love. So again, you see, he repeats the first refrain, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then he adds, forget not all his benefits. So let's build the list of benefits. Let's just call this a God's seven benefits. And you tell me, after we look at all these, you tell me that you should not be exalting him with all that you are and all that you have. Because it's so awesome what he gives us. God's seven benefits. Uh, number one, uh, he forgives me. Verse three, he forgives all your iniquity. You know, if we had no other items on the list, if this is all we had, it'd be enough, wouldn't it? Just to know that God forgave us and we were severed in our relationship between him, impossible to make up the gap that, that exists between us and God. Our sin is the thing that came between us and God and, and the fact that he's forgiven us through Jesus Christ, that Christ gave his life to, to bridge that gap, that's enough. I wouldn't need anything else just to know that my sins are forgiven and I could have a relationship with him. It's awesome that he does that for us. That's his first benefit. A second one here, he heals me. Verse three continues, who heals all your diseases. Now, a lot of people love, love Psalm 103, just have trouble with this particular line because they know he doesn't actually heal all our diseases. I have a disease and it's not been healed or I had a loved one and they had something their entire life and they never got over it and they died. So what's going on here? Well, this is just the difference between our timeline and God's timeline. Do we believe that God will heal all of our diseases? And the answer is yes, he will, but on his timeline. And certainly by the time that we pass from this mortal life to our immortal life with him, we pass from, from, from here to the, to the eternal home he has for us, God will, in our glorified bodies, heal all our diseases, amen? He will. And then, as a gracious act, and as a little foretaste of what's to come, once in a while, God surprises us by healing someone here. And it's awesome that he does that. He heals all of our diseases. A third, he protects me. Verse four, who redeems your life from the pit. Now, certainly that verse refers largely to the pit of sin that we were in and being lifted out of that. But then I think of all the other little pitfalls that we have in our life, all the result of a sin-tainted world, all the little dangers we face, all the things we need protection from, and all of the, way God, all the ways God uh, protects us. I think of all the times we pray, God, uh, as we head on this trip, would you ju just watch over us and please protect us on the way? Would you please watch over our kids as they go to camp this week? Would you just uh, protect us, Father, as we head out off on this direction? And, 
And, and everybody here, it seems, probably has a testimony of a story where we were headed this way and we prayed this and this happened and God intervened and we were protected and we can't imagine what it would have been like if we hadn't been. Anybody got that story? I think we do. And that's the times we know about. And I think that when we get to heaven and we're gonna watch the tape of our life and kind of review the whole thing and, and see all of the ways, the thousands of ways God protected us. The thousands of times he wrapped us in bubble wrapped and kept us safe from harm. All the times he sent his ministering angels to, to protect us in the face of some danger that we didn't even know existed. God protects us in ways we can't even imagine. Number four, he he esteems me. Verse four continues, he, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. You, you forget George, forget George. This room is filled with princes and princesses of the king of kings. And some of us have come into this room today with these massive identity crises. And, and we're, we're searching through everything the world has to offer to try and find some identity for ourselves. And God has already esteemed us and declared us to be his sons and daughters. I don't need to look any further because he esteems me as part of his family. Crowns me with steadfast love and mercy. Five, he provides for me. He satisfies you with good things. Verse five says, and all of the ways God provides for us, if we, were to, if we were to begin the list, we would spend the rest of our lives articulating line after line of all of the ways God has poured out his goodness into our lives and provided for us. It's awesome when we think about it. He strengthens me. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. This provision strengthens me. It gives me wisdom when I don't know what to do. It, 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 it gives me courage when I'm facing some obstacle. It gives me faith when I'm feeling weak. God provides for me in so many ways. Just what I need, just when I need it. And then seventh, he, he vindicates me. Verse six says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed and in this room, no doubt, there are many people who have suffered wrong at the hands of another person who have been oppressed. And I would say to you, you do not need to argue your point. You do not need to defend yourself. If your cause is righteous and your decisions have been made based on the ethic of God's word, then God will vindicate you. Truth and time walk hand in hand. God will vindicate you for his own name's sake. What a gift that is to us. What a benefit God offers to us. And having articulated these seven benefits then, he illustrates it. He gives us some examples. Verse seven, he says, he made known his ways to Moses. So Moses had the seven benefits. His ways to the people of Israel, the people of Israel had his seven benefits. Harvest Muskoka, has the seven benefits. Every person in this room who's a follower of Jesus Christ, you possess the seven benefits of God. He has offered them to you. He goes on to describe it 
in such glorious ways. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The reason why he gives all of this is because of his grace and his mercy. In fact, just discerning between these two words helps us out to see the benefits God gives us. Mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. That's mercy. Not getting what we do deserve. What I deserve is condemnation. What I deserve is judgment. What I deserve is hell. What I deserve is eternal eternal separation from God. That's what I deserve. But God in his mercy does not give me what I deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is me getting what I do not deserve. And he's already told us what these things are, seven of them. I don't deserve to be forgiven, to be healed, to be protected, to be esteemed, to be provided for, to be strengthened, or to be vindicated. I don't deserve any of that. But God in his grace gives me what I do not deserve and I have not earned. And he does all of this. Notice the verse continues. He does all of this because of his steadfast love. Now don't miss that this phrase takes us to the covenant the, the, the covenant that God has made with his people. His covenant faithfulness. The Hebrew word is the chesed of God. That God makes his promises and God keeps his promises to his people. And so this is as sure as anything for those of us who know him. And it's not because of what we've done, but entirely because of what he's done. His mercy and his grace toward us So exalt him for all that he is and all that he's done. Verses 9 through 12, punctuated even more, he will not always chide. You're going to see his grace and mercy coming through in all of this. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Praise God for that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He's angry about our sin, but that's not going to last forever. His, His justice demands a price, but in Jesus, the price has been paid. He does not deal with us according to our sin because he dealt with Jesus according to our sin. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities because Jesus paid for our iniquities. All of this an affirmation of the covenant. Verse 11 emphasizes that again and the promise to never bring our sins up against us. God can't forget our sins. He's God. He chooses not to bring them up against you again. He's going to remove them as far as the east is from the west because it's his nature to forgive. These are the benefits of God. And we should exalt him for all that he is and all that he's done, all that he's given us and is giving us and will give us. And as we work through the list and you thought about those things, are you enjoying his benefits? Are you thinking about his benefits as you exalt him. Well, we're not quite done with it. The third point really drives down even a little bit more deeply on this idea of who he is and what he's done because we also need to exalt him for loving 
loving you deeply and holding you fast. He loves you deeply. And he's holding you fast. Verses 13 through 18, as a father shows compassion to his children, you can just see the tenderness now. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. This image of a father showing compassion to his children is meant for us to see that this is God and us. This is God showing compassion to those, the verse says, who fear him, who worship him, who exalt him, who, who have a reverential awe in the presence of God. This is 100% about those who are already believers, who are walking with him and committed their life to him, to follow him. So don't expect these benefits. Don't expect the assurance that comes from God if you haven't committed your life to him. But if you do believe in him, and you do love him, and you do follow him, then you have some rock-solid assurances that are coming your way from God. Things that will make us unshakable in the face of anything this world would throw at us. Really, the point that he's making in verses 14, 15, into 16 is that we're so weak and frail and vulnerable and, and even a reminder that we're mortal. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He says, we're, we're like grass, which is here and then gone, like a wildflower that, that, that blooms and then disappears. And you don't ever remember where that wildflower was. That's us. Weak, frail, vulnerable, mortal. I was reminded again of, of that this week and at a funeral. And um, I'm at the age now, and some of you will identify with this, I'm, I'm just at the age where I'm going to funerals, Cheryl and I are going to funerals where friends are burying their parents. And... We should never go to funerals flippantly or not really taking time to carefully consider what's happening in the moment and the loss that we're suffering because we are so very frail and weak and vulnerable and mortal. I've been uh, around 53 years now and in five plus decades of life, I have seen so many medical breakthroughs and new procedures and drugs that help us with things and extending life and providing better quality of life. But the reality is that over 50 years, we haven't really added that much to our life expectancy, not a lot. And, and nothing, by the way, in the developing world. And, and the last I checked, we all still die. So medicine hasn't really prevented that. Because we're, we're weak and we're frail and we're vulnerable and we're mortal. God knows this. 
Or, or I, th- I think about safety and security issues. And you know, I'm from Barrie, so we have CTV Barrie News, and, and I'm grateful to live in a community that's pretty safe. And sometimes we like to poke fun at our newscasts on, on CTV Barrie because usually the lead stories are about an eight-year-old who lost a balloon or a pothole on Ann Street. And uh, you know, that's about as serious as it gets in Barrie. And uh, it's pretty similar up here in Muskoka, and it's a pretty safe place to live, and we all know that, and we're grateful for that. Certainly a lot safer than, than the city south of here. But still, it creeps up into our communities, doesn't it? And the darkness comes up, and bad things happen, and we hear about it, and we, and we just realize that even when we're in a safe place, challenging things can still happen. And, and, when, and when the police thwart criminals in one way, they find a new way to hurt us. And when the terrorists are stymied by our security forces in one way, they find a new way to inflict their terror. Because we're weak and we're vulnerable. We're frail. We're mortal. And God knows this. You know, God that we are but dust. You know our frame. And for the third time in the psalm, he reminds us about the covenant. Remember the promise I made? Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Nothing's gonna change his love for you. And maybe of all the things I've said here today, this is the thing that someone needs to hear. God loves you, God loves you. He has compassion for his children. And whatever you're facing right now, you have a God who loves you, even in the midst of your weakness, especially in the face of your weakness. Nothing's gonna change that. But this, this again, is for those who, who fear him, verse 17 continues. His righteousness is for children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. It's those who are followers. So if you haven't made that decision, this is the moment You want to take advantage of the seven benefits? You want to be in relationship with God? You want to have the assurances that he's providing here? You want to exalt him? You can't muster this up yourself. You can't fake it. Now's the moment to give your life to Jesus Christ. Even though the psalm is almost entirely addressing believers, it's for us. And it's it's an encouragement for us to, to up our game in the exaltation of Christ. Still, there's a call here for those who are not yet in on that to believe in God and receive these benefits from him. Pledge to follow him now. The last few verses are really a grand conclusion as the psalmist like busts out in praise and worship and puts out an appeal for everyone to join him. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, verse 19, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is an all-out appeal for everyone in all of the creation, in heaven, and on earth to exalt the Lord, to bless the Lord. And there's really a threefold emphasis or structure here in the psalm. And Bernard Anderson breaks it down for us. It is God's faithfulness that endows the individual's life, the history of the people, and the whole cosmos with ultimate meaning. And it's these three that exalt the Lord in this psalm. 
There's an appeal here for the individual to exalt him. There's an appeal for the collective group of God's people for Harvest Muskoka to exalt him. And there's an appeal here for the creation itself to exalt the Lord. And it's that last point that got me thinking about Luke 19 and the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. You remember this on Palm Sunday. Jesus is entering Jerusalem finally and the passion is about to begin and the crowds, the throngs of people are all there and they have these palm branches and they're waving the branches and they're laying them down on the road and Jesus is coming up riding a donkey which was the symbol of royalty, of the king. And the people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and everyone knows what they're doing. They're exalting their king. Now, for every party in the gospel, there's a Pharisee there to try and ruin it. And sure enough, a Pharisee comes up, and I can just picture him kind of breaking through the crowd and, and walking alongside Jesus as he's riding this donkey. And he says to Jesus, you need to tell your followers to stop. They're blaspheming. And do you remember Jesus' reply? If these do not, if these do not praise me, the very stones will cry out. The creation will exalt me. Now listen, as this psalm ends, it ends the same way it began. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It ends with a very individual appeal. It ends with a first person pronoun. I need to decide. Forget the person beside you, in front of you, behind you. This is every individual deciding right now, you know what, I'm gonna exalt the Lord because I don't want any rocks crying out because I didn't. I'm gonna exalt the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. All that I am, all that I have, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've left time for worship here. I'm not gonna pray. The response should seem evident from what we've heard from God's word. And so we're gonna allow the team now to lead us in our response of exalting the Lord.